Well, you have to call Easter he is risen because that is the big thing. And, and I want to just read a portion of the story that is my favorite part of the Easter story. It's, there's several places and different gospels where it's recorded, but the Matthew 28, verse 1. Let me read it. It'll be on the screen as well. Listen carefully to these words. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him. They fell into a dead faint. The angel of the Lord spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. This is where it all began. This is, can you imagine these ladies who went to that tomb that day and to find the tomb empty and to see an angel and to have an angel actually talk? You know, we know the story so well that we read it and it, 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 it inspires us, but there's something powerful about being the first people there to the tomb. I can't even imagine what that was like. And think of the questions. I mean, they all saw him die, and, and they didn't really know, and they didn't understand like we do, this whole idea of resurrection. He tried to tell them, but they didn't quite get it until now, and now all this was really happening. So I started thinking about, if we really want to have a relationship with God, what will be required? On the back of your program today, there are five things listed. And they are the things that are going to be required for you to have a relationship with God. The first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today, and I encourage you to do that, especially if you're new, because then you'll know when I'm almost done. And that, and that really inspires people uh, quickly. Matter of fact, pastors often say, in conclusion, and we do it just because it gives you hope. Okay, So hang in here with me. But, but the first one I want you to write down is, to have a relationship with God, we must prove ourselves to him. Not. How many of you know that's a lie? You can't prove yourself to God. Prove yourself. That's one of those things that we can try and try and try, but it's just not going to happen. There's tons of places in the Easter story where people tried to prove their loyalty to God to prove that they were going to stand with him. Peter said, I'll never forsake you. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to deny me in a few hours. But my favorite one, my favorite one is when they're in the garden and they're about to arrest Jesus and the Romans are coming to arrest him. Do you remember this part? And the disciples are gathered around him. And of course, it's Peter, once again, that guy, he, he always acts before he speaks. And I love him for it. He, he's fun to read because of it. And the Roman guards come, and they're going to arrest Jesus and take him to trial. Everything's about to happen. Everything's about to go in that last few hours of the life of Jesus. And Peter's saying, this is not going to happen because I'm here. And I'm going to prove myself that I can protect God. And he pulls out a sword. Actually, the word here is dagger, and it's kind of an in-between knife sword. So it's probably about that long. 
And Peter just pulls it out. He doesn't say, Lord, can I take a head off? He doesn't get permission. And he goes for this guy's head. And fortunately, the guy must duck because the Bible says his name is Malchus. He's named in the Bible. This whole story is in there, details. And Peter swings the sword and that ear goes flying, lands on the ground. And good thing the guy ducked or he probably would have lost his head. And that's when the Lord is like, Peter, wait, 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 no, let's, let's not do that. And the Bible says that Jesus reaches down and he picks up the ear. I mean, that's kind of eerie when you think about it. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? And he, he places it. Just imagine, he places it on the guy's head. And the Bible says it becomes whole again. Like no blood, no nothing. It's all of a sudden healed. And I can just see this guy going, What? This was just on the ground. <laughs> I bet he became a follower of Jesus. I would have to see that kind of thing. But Peter couldn't prove his loyalty. You can't prove your love for God. Our culture has so much pressure in it. Pressure to, to prove yourself. Pressure to get out there and make it happen. You can go to a bookstore and buy self-help books and read articles and go to lectures of, of how you can improve yourself to make yourself proven to others so that you've got it and they're going to hire you instead of someone else. And that is our culture. And that's not all evil. But when it comes to coming to God, there's nothing to prove. Why? Because he created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you've got to get this in your head. I'd, I'd like to just kind of do it like this. How about, how about we all this year go down to the Bronco um, headquarters and what would happen if I went in and said, um, I'd like to be your starting running back this year? <laughs> and they said, well, you're welcome to come to the camp. And I said, I don't really want to go to the camp. That just sounds like a lot of work to me. Um, but you can trust me. I'll be the best one you've ever had. Um, just give me my uniform, pay me a salary, and I'll be there on game day. That's not going to happen. Why? Because those training camps are for proving. And you take tests after tests, and you run, and how fast are you? How quick are you? What is your strength? On, and it's measured in every way. That's why we're, we have a tendency to think when we come to God, we've got to prove something, because that's our culture. That's everywhere. It's in our DNA. But we don't. God says, I want you just the way you are. You have nothing to prove to me. The desire destroys our ability to depend on God when we have to prove something. Now, here's what I want to do, and I'm going to really need your help for this. All four of these. Um, I'm going to make a little statement. This has been going very well, by the way. We are in competition as to which service does it best. And, and I'm, I'm counting on you, okay? Because here's what's going to happen is... I'm going to say, do you think we should nail this to the cross? And you're going to yell out, and you're going to say, nail it to the cross! Like that, with, with a lot of passion. Now, 7 o'clock, they were a little sleepy. But I'm telling you, they came on really, really strong. And so, what do you think we ought to do to prove ourselves? Nail it to the cross! <laughs> yes. Wow! Wow! That is so fun, so I'm going to do it. This is pretty cool. Stay. This hammer is the original. No, I'm kidding. 
The second thing in your outline is, is, is very, very important. If I want to have a relationship with God, then I must be afraid of him. I must be afraid of God, right? Not, not, you're right. No way. And this is important because there's a couple things I want to say. I grew up learning that I should have a healthy fear of God, meaning respect, to revere God. The Bible actually uses a word that says fear God, and it means to respect God because he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and, and, and we better have a healthy respect of his abilities because he can do all things. But what I'm talking about is phobia fear. So many people are afraid of God in the sense of he's gonna hurt me. He's got a big stick. I grew up with a little bit of that fear toward God in my house thinking that God was always looking to catch me doing something wrong. Anyone besides me have that kind of? And you just know he's up there and he's pretty angry most of the time. Right? You just know he is because that's what you've learned. Matter of fact, I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, Jesus is coming back and boy is he ticked off. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just thought about that for a while in my car as I chuckled and I thought, how many people absolutely have this, this fear? They're really afraid that God is mad at them all the time, that he doesn't like them, he doesn't want to really be around them, and, and you're kind of in his way and you're kind of a nuisance. That's not the story of God. I, I, I think of that story that Jesus told about the parables where he gave five bags of silver to one guy, he gave two bags of silver to another guy, and he gave one bag of silver to an, a third guy. And he said, hey, invest these, I'll be back in a while. The guy with five gets out there, gets after it, doubles his money. The guy with two does really well with his investment. The guy with one, Jesus comes back, and in Matthew 25, 24, just listen to this. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't uh, plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and so I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I buried it in the earth. Here it is back. And the master rebuked him and said, that's not why I gave it to you. And the point is this, when we live with fear of God, we're never going to reach our potential. We're never going to be out there and use the gifts that he's given us. God loves you. He has called you. He's created you. Not to live being afraid that God's ticked off and mad all the time, but to say, I'm going to run toward God. I want him to be my heavenly father. I want everything he has for me in my life. Let's develop a healthy fear of God, but let's not be afraid of God. What should we do with being afraid? Yes. Nail it to the cross. That's exactly what we should do because that's where it belongs. The next thing in your outline is a, another thing that kind of people think when they, they come to the Lord and they really want to have a relationship with God. This gets very confusing for many, and that's why I want to talk about it. And that is do good things. If you want to have a relationship with the Lord, you have to do good things. Right? Not, you guys are good, you guys are good. No, that's not it. 
Now, we have to admit that once we are in right relationship with God, he will change our hearts so that we have what is called good fruit in our lives. The things we do will be good things. But you can't do good things running to God saying, now I get to have a relationship with you, Lord, because look at all the things that I have done. Now you're going to love me. Now you're going to believe in me. I'll do some more, too, if you'll forgive me. God doesn't operate that way. Good works are wonderful, but I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard people saying, you know, to me, or they've said to me, after years of friendship, and they're not believers, and they'll say something like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about coming back to church. I've got a couple more things I'm working on in my life, and then I feel like I'll be able to come in. And sometimes they say, if I came in right now, the ceiling would collapse. And, and I get what they're trying to say is that they're saying, I'm just a bad person, and I need to do some better things, and I need to get my life cleaned up before I really engage. And can I just tell you, that's not going to happen. You know why? Because flesh cannot clean up flesh. It's just not going to happen. You need to come to God and have him help you and journey with you. Get rid of those habits and those issues and those things that, that he wants to set you apart with. I must learn to trust God with my life. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us reach our fullest potential as a person. It's not just being a do-gooder. That's not how you come to faith. Doing good happens because you love God and he loves you and he puts you on a mission in this life that bears good fruit. What do you think we should do with doing good things in order to be saved? I do too. We're going to nail it. Well, there's one more, and it really gets us. It's a powerful trick that the enemy uses, and that is to really have a relationship with the Lord, we must feel ashamed of ourselves. Because this is really going to prove to God that we're very sorry, is to be ashamed. Not. I, uh, I've thought a lot about this because this is a big one in our culture. I grew up in a home also where I was taught that feeling guilty about something that I did wrong was a good thing, because it is a good thing. I worry about people who steal something and have no conscience about it. They have no guilt. I want to have guilt when I do something wrong. How about you? So. So that's not what this is talking about. Guilt can be good, and then conviction of the Spirit can cause me to run back to God and say, I am sorry. Then the guilt is gone. The scar might still be there, depending on what you've done. But the guilt can be gone. But what happens so often is just classically told in the Easter story with a guy named Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of silver. Now just think about this for a minute. 30 pieces of silver. Once he realized what he had done, what did he do with the 30 pieces of silver? He brought it back. Why? Good guilt. <laughs> He's going, this was not good. <laughs> I don't want this blood money. I don't have anything to do with it. I didn't realize all this was going to happen. So he brings the money back. But then he crosses a line. 
And this is where so many people are in our culture. Teenagers, hear me. Think about what I'm saying here. Judas believed in his heart that the only way, the only way that he could, he could prove that he was truly sorry was to kill himself. The Bible says Judas went out and hanged himself. And I believe it was because he was saying, I deserve death. I deserve to die for what I have done, and I'm going to take care of this because that's what courage does. Wrong. That's what lies do. You've got a generation of people growing up right now that are inflicting pain to themselves or cutting themselves or doing these things because why? Because of shame. Because they don't believe they can really have a God who loves them the way they are. And the things they've done, it's just too big. I've got to suffer. I've got to pay for my sins. The enemy is so good at this. I, uh, I was thinking about doing something a couple months ago. And I'm going to just tell you what it was. I, I thought about taking a couple months and doing a little test. And trying it out on several of you for a couple months and then bringing the results to this Easter weekend. So here's what it was. I, I didn't end up doing it, but I, I, here's what it was. I was going to maybe come alongside of some of you out in the mall area. Some of you that I know pretty well or you volunteer here. Or maybe some of our staff. And I was going to say, hey, you know, you've really been on my mind a lot lately. Don't know why, but I've been praying for you. And then God kind of revealed to me... Um, your little secret. I wonder if you'd want to talk about it. <laughs> and then I prayed about doing that. Um, God put a pretty big kibosh on that one. Uh, but isn't that kind of creepy? Why? Why? Because you might look at me and say... Which secret? <laughs> right? Which, which thing? Why? Because we all have a past. We all have stuff that we're not certain. We want it to go away. We don't want it to be there. We don't want to deal with it anymore. But this is the playground of the enemy of your soul. Right here. That's it. That's the big stuff. And you cannot talk about it, you cannot tell anybody, but you do have a brain and Satan comes and he reminds you and reminds you and reminds you and he tries to get you to live in this little moment of, you've got this little secret. You're not gonna amount to anything. How can you pray? Why are you going to church? Why do you say you believe? You've still got problems, buddy. Listen, we're always gonna have problems as long as we're on this earth. But that cross right there took your sin, it took your pain, and it took your shame, and you you don't let the enemy do that to you ever again. It's a lie. It's a lie. What should we do if we feel ashamed of ourselves? <laughs> Got a lot of help today. I'm liking this. The last thing is not on a sign because we don't need to nail it. It's really the truth about what we need to identify. And that's number five. We really must believe in him and surrender to him. At first it sounds too easy, but I want us to back up a step and say maybe believing in him isn't that easy. 
For me it is because as a kid, I have had great experiences with the Lord and the love of God in my life. But for many of you, maybe you're a guest today, maybe you don't know, you don't even do the whole God thing. I understand. Because it's hard to believe that God came to earth as a man, died, rose again. You know, it sounds ludicrous. How can someone with a brain buy into this? I want to talk about this for a minute. I don't think it's easy to believe. I think it takes faith. There's one of my favorite disciples that had this problem. His name was Thomas. We've given him kind of a, an added name. What do we call him? <laughs> Doubting Thomas. That's so sad. You know why? Because he was, he was being honest. He, in, in a nutshell, here's what happened. Jesus shows up to the disciples and reveals himself. And Thomas is absent. And so the disciples come running up to Thomas and they're going, Thomas, we saw Jesus. We, we saw the scars in his hand. We, his, his side, he's alive. He's alive. And Thomas is like, he didn't come to me. Did he pick the one time I'm gone from the group? You ever feel like that about God? You're always the one. <laughs> no. They have all these experiences with God. God writes it on the wall for them. But no, not me. Thomas is that guy. And you know what he says to him? These are his friends. I mean, they're close. And he says, I don't believe you. Sorry, don't be mad at me, but I don't believe it. Until Jesus is right in front of me, and I touch his hands, and I touch his side, I'm not going to believe it. That's why he gets this nickname, Doubting Thomas. So guess what? Jesus shows up. Jesus walks right into his life. I love that about Jesus. And he doesn't say, oh, you're wearing me out, Thomas. Not at all. Matter of fact, there's no rebuke. He just says, here you go. Is this what you needed? <laughs> I would just like to say for those of you that may not believe, why don't you just ask God to reveal himself to you? And then watch and listen and open your mind. And don't just live calloused about it. Let your spirit man open up because God might just show up and reveal himself in ways that you're not thinking of right now. And you just might like it. Because having faith in the God of this universe is a pretty wonderful thing. And it's very freeing. Thomas ended up being a missionary to India. Matter of fact, he had a very fruitful ministry. Why? Because he did not stay a doubter. He became a proclaimer. So those of you that doubt, you don't have to stay that way. It really can be different. I think of the words of the things that happened around the cross before the resurrection. The onlookers said stuff like, come down from the cross if you're really the son of God. The religious leaders said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Even the soldiers said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. In light of these words in Scripture, Max Lucado wrote this, and I want to read it to you. Bitter words, acidic with sarcasm, hateful, irreverent. Wasn't it enough that he was being crucified? Wasn't it enough that he was being shamed as a criminal? Were the nails insufficient? Was the crown of thorns too soft? Had the flogging been too short? Of all the scenes around the cross, this one angers me the most. What kind of people, I ask myself, would mock a dying man? Who would be so base 
as to pour the salt of scorn upon open wounds. How low and perverted to sneer at one who is laced with pain, and yet Jesus did not retaliate. Wow. You know, I got to tell you, if that had been me on that cross, these comments start flying, I probably would have been like, three days, three days from now, bucko, I'll be coming. I know where you live. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's why I didn't die for your sin. <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> Jesus trusted his father. It does take faith and trust to follow Jesus and surrender. I leave you with one last person that I mentioned last week, but it's really powerful to me, and it's the Roman officer. And this might be for some of you who really don't have faith in God because neither did he. He was not paid to say it. He was a high-ranking officer in Scripture. Who knows how many crucifixions he had been around. It could be hundreds. He, he was a, a, not a soft-hearted man, let me tell you something. Brutal. Crucifixion was torture. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's not a believer. He's not a disciple. He's not talked about in Scripture till right here at the death of Jesus. And he goes to the foot of the cross and he looks up at him and he says, Surely and truly, this man was the Son of God. Oh, you expect to hear it from the pastor, but you really don't expect to hear it from him. You might want to think about taking his word for it because he wasn't a believer and he wasn't a softy, but he was there. And that matters most. That's the first proclamation of Jesus being the son of God after his death by a guy who hadn't been around him, but he knew in his heart, this is real. <laughs>